I may slip up, but Pastor David, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege of sharing this morning. And thank you for your leadership here. You know, when you have a season of ministry, your prayer is that whoever follows you will be able to build on that. And that's always a concern because that always doesn't happen. Uh, But as I look around and to see all the new faces that are here and then all the changes and so forth, it's it's rewarding uh, for me to come back and to see that the work of God continues in the life of this church. So Pastor David and Rebecca and all of the rest of the staff, uh, it's just a joy that you're continuing on this ministry. Well, uh, several weeks ago, uh, Pastor David and I were having lunch with a bunch of people after a service, and he said, why don't you come preach? And I said, I'm always open to coming back. Any excuse to come back here, I'll be glad to come back. Uh, and so he said, well, what do you like to preach on? And Tammy said, discipleship. And, Dave, and Pastor David said, that'd be great. So that's what I'm preaching on, discipleship. Fit right in with his series. And, but it's a big topic, and I'm not sure that I can get it all covered in the next two to three hours that we have allotted for this. <laughs> so I'll do my best. So I've been in ministry for like 50 years, and over those years, there's been kind of this debate going on of how do you do discipleship? And there's some, it's one-on-one discipleship, intensive, one person, you know, mentoring another person. And others know a discipleship program of you get two or three that'll gather around you and you go through a course. And others say, no, it's the Sunday school. It's, it's been the, the, you know, the framework of teaching for, for over a century or more. And others know it's, it's small groups. Discipleship takes place in small groups. And others, oh, you go on a retreat, a discipleship retreat. And then there's programs like YWAM where you go off for a summer. And I did a summer kind of program. And I've, over the course of my ministry, I've discipled people across the spectrum. And I use all of these w- w- methodologies. So which one's best? good question how do we determine that well you know that's said that you begin with the end in mind and so the question becomes what does the disciple look like how do you identify that this person is a follower of jesus christ a disciple someone who it takes seriously well we can come up with all kinds of answers but fortunately jesus has told us exactly what a disciple has looked like. So if you'll turn in your Bibles or your apps or your Bible apps or whatever you have to John chapter 13, uh, we're going to kind of cover a, a big portion of Scripture, three or four chapters, which is why I need all this time, Pastor David. Uh, but we'll do our best. And verse 34 and 35. Oops, go back one. We read this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. Now listen to this, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I notice he did not say they will know you are a disciple because you carry a big Bible with you. Did not say they will know that you are my disciple because you can quote big passages of scripture. Did not say they will know you are my disciples if you have a WWJD bracelet on your arm. Did not say if you have a fish on your car. What he said was, by this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another.
another. Now, I'm going to teach you a couple of Latin phrases. I, and I know that, that our tradition doesn't use Latin a lot, but, but if you can have Nazis on the stage, then I can put out a few, <laughs> a few Latin phrases, right? Oh, <laughs> sound of music, yes. It was wonderful, by the way. I have to tell you, when I started here 15 years ago, in my wildest imaginations, I would not imagine we would have guns on the stage and dancing and Nazis all here in the church. That was not one of the things that I was able to accomplish, so kudos to you. <laughs> okay, here's the first one. It is a... Uh, Latin phrase, it's the sine qua non. Anybody know what that means? Any lawyers we over here, lawyers, sine qua non? It simply means, it, it, the literal translation is without which not. It means it is the indispensable part of something, the essential nature of something. For example, in chocolate chip cookies, I love chocolate chip cookies. You know, you get them out of the oven, and the chocolate is just kind of melting right there, and you smell it in the other room. Anybody hungry but me out there? <laughs> Here's the thing. The, the sine qua non of chocolate chip cookies is chocolate. If you don't have chocolate in those cookies, they are not chocolate chip cookies. And what Jesus is saying is love is the sine non qua of being a disciple. If, if you don't have love, you're not a disciple. Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, put it like this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, the very heart of discipleship, the very essential, is love. Now, our tendency is, is to say, oh yeah, love, love, that's good, let's move on, let's do something, you know, really hardcore, but this is the hardcore. There is a not only is it the essential element, but it is the identification to who we are. It's the authentication of who we are. There's a great old movie called The Treasures of Sierra Madre. Uh, Humphrey Bogart, 1948. They're, they're prospectors up in, in uh, Mexico, up in the mountains there, and there are these, some bandits come up and are surrounding them, and, and they're saying that they're actually federales, police. And so... so Humphrey Bogart, one of the, the miners there, says, well, show me your badges. And, and the, the spokesman gets up there and says, we got no badges. We don't have to show you no badges. We don't got no stinking badges. The badge is the authentication that you are, in fact, empowered by the state to enforce the law. The badge of the Christian is not that bumper sticker on your car. It is love right at the very bottom. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. Now, Jesus said this, this is a new commandment. Now, I'm going to teach you another phrase, Latin phrase. This is it, so don't panic. 
But hey, this is, this is cool because, you know, you can, at your next family gathering, you can just throw this out. The steak is the sine non qua of the, the meal here. And they're going, is that like a, an Italian dish you put on there? I'm not quite sure. Well, the next phrase is this. It's the mandatum novum. You can say that. My kids have a mandatum novum, and they'll go, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> is it contagious? Maybe we should come another time. The mandatum novum. I share that because, well, let me take back. In my tradition of growing up, we, we recognized Good Friday. That was, that's, I was, grew up Baptist, and, and that's what we did. But we didn't do Monday, Thursday. In fact, when I was a child, I thought that was weird. Why Monday, Thursday? Why not Tuesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday? What's Monday, Thursday? Well, in researching this, Monday, Thursday comes from the mandatum novum, the new commandment. We get the word mandate from mandatum. It is a new command. Now, you may look at that and go, why is it a new command? I mean, all the way back in Leviticus, you know, Moses told us that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus talked about in the, in the Sermon of the Mount that, that we need to love our enemies. So w when Jesus says on this mandatum novum, it's a new commandment, what's he talking about? And here's the thing. It's the standard. He has raised the bar. He's saying that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Now somehow, and I don't know how in the course of history, but the word mandatum ended up being Monday, Thursday night. And so I want us to take a, a, a step backwards here, and this is where we're going to get kind of the 30,000-foot view of what's happening uh, in the Scriptures here. But in chapter 13, where we're at, it starts off with the disciples gathering in the upper room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has told them that he will be betrayed that evening. At some point in the evening, he has instituted the Lord's table, communion, which we'll be observing a little bit later. And thank you for letting me do this uh, because it fits in intimately to what we're talking about in this message here. This will be the last time this will be the last time that Jesus will be with his disciples as a mortal. He will be betrayed this evening. He will be beaten, lashed beyond recognition. And the next day he'll be crucified. The next time they see him, he will no longer have a mortal body. He will be in his glorified body. And the relationship will have changed. And it's in this context his last night with them, that he gives them this new command and says, this is a new command that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Now, I want to go back to verse 31 and have you follow along with me uh, so we can get the full context here. Now, when he, that is, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will only be with you a, a little longer. And you will look for me, just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And here comes the command. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples 
if you love one another. I want to stop right there, and I'll pick it up in just a minute. About a year and about it's been two and a half years now that Tammy went up to visit her father. He was very ill, and we didn't know it at the time. But in the course of that visit, he would pass. But in that time that that we were there, over the course of weeks, he set us down several times and said, "This." is who's going to supposed to get what. This is what I want you to do with this. Now, Tammy was the executor of his will. And in those moments where he knew his time was short, he told us what was important to him. And we are still in process of trying to fulfill all of the things that he said. You see, when you know your time is short, you don't mess around with, with the trivialities. You get right to the heart of the matter. And when we talk about discipleship, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the heart of the matter. This is, this is the very essence of what it is to be a disciple. Well, let me continue on. Peter asked. Now, Jesus has just given us this, this, this command. You ever been that person in the classroom that just kind of takes it off course? Well, here's Peter. Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Wait a minute. He's like, wait a minute, Jesus. Back up the wagon here. Why, why can't we follow you? And he continues on. And Peter, Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, really, Peter? Really? Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter's a lot like us. We go, oh yeah, love. We, we understand that. We, all the places. You know, the Bible talks about love. Yeah, let's check that off of my thing now. Let's move on. And Jesus is trying to say this is the most important thing. But he does look out. And he sees his disciples are very distressed. So we move into chapter 14. I'm going to go real quick over this. But chapter 14, he's trying to comfort his disciples. There's that great passage where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And one of the disciples says, you know, show us the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. And, and another disciple says, show us the Father. And, he, and Jesus says, have I not been with you so long? And the rest of that chapter talks about the Holy Spirit. He comforts them. That's chapter 14. We then move into chapter 15, where Jesus then picks it up. And he talks about the, the, the vine and the branches. And the essence of that is if, if you're going to grow and be a good follower of Jesus, the vine has to be con or the branch has to be connected to the vine so it'll produce fruit. And that's where we pick up. Jesus finally begins to circle back around. All of this is happening. Now remember this. All of this is happening on Monday, Thursday, that night. He's got so much he wants to communicate. So verse 12 in chapter 15, we pick up with this. No, okay, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, realize they fully don't understand that because Jesus hasn't died for them. When, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, I'm sure they're just like, you know, Jesus was always telling parables, and I'm sure there's, there's, there's some deep meaning to this, but we're not getting it right now. But over the next several days, it will all become very evident to them. Continue on. He says this, greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. My command is this. Love each other. Love each other. You see, Christianity is more than just doctrine. Although doctrine is important and, and reading the Bible and, and memorizing scripture, all that's important. But it's more than that. It's a community. That's what I love, what I, what I see Pastor uh, David doing here is, is emphasizing the importance of community. We are called into community. There is that each other, the one in others that are part of this. So let me quickly kind of run through this passage here. Uh, first, he talks about the supreme command, which is this. My command is love each other as I have loved you. Now, Frederick Beaker points this out. In the Christian sense, love is not primarily an emotion. It is an act of the will. You see, that, that mandatum, that command, you can't command emotions. You can't command all those warm, fuzzy feelings that we associate with love. But you can command the will. And he's basically saying love is a decision that you are going to value other people. You're going to encourage other people. All of the, the one another's that Scripture talk about, you're going to make that decision that as the opportunity presents itself, that you're going to care about other people. That's part of what the heart of what it is to be a follower, especially within the family of God. At the uh, middle of uh, Paul's letter, right in the middle, just before he transitions before the theological portion to the practical portion of the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the full measure of all the fullness of God. To know the depth of God's love, the height of it, the width of it, you see, that's part of our journey. And that journey takes place within the family, right here. There's a story of a man who was abandoned or was on a desert island for years and years and years. And uh, finally, a ship noticed the smoke coming up, came alongside, and sent a, a, a boat in there to pick him up. And they noticed he had three huts up there. And they just thought, well, that was weird. He says, what are, what's, what's that hut there? And he says, well, that's where I live. And they ask him, well, what about that second? He says, well, that's my church. That's where I go to church. And he said, well, what about that third hut? Oh, that's where I went to church. I don't go there anymore. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. And yet it's within the family. This is, this is the place. And, 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 and it's... I don't, you know, let me just put it this way. This church is not perfect. I, I haven't been for four and a half years, and I, don't, I still know it's not perfect. Pastor David and Rebecca are not perfect. They will sooner or later disappoint you, discourage you, offend you. I guarantee it, absolutely. If they've not already done so. If you haven't done so, you probably haven't done your job, but that's okay. <laughs> I just want to be an encouragement to you, okay? <laughs> this is reality. You see, it's in this reality where we're dealing with real people. 
people that some people are sandpaper people. Do you know that? One one pastor calls them extra grace required people. You know, one person said that that every third person is an extra grace required. So you can look to your left and right, and if they look normal, <laughs> you can. want to do a great Bible study, do the one another's. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Accept one another. Be devoted to one another. These are just a handful of all the one another's. But this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. These one another's are at the heart of Christianity. Well, then we have the standard, the supreme standard. And Jesus, as he said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. One of the reasons I wanted to wait and ask Pastor David if we could do this at the end because I want us to, to, to focus in on this. This is our standard of love. This is what disciple is all about. Now, if we're honest, if we're absolutely honest, we've got to say, wait a minute. What he just said was greater love is this than put down your life for a friend. Can I do that, really? And if we're honest, none of us are there yet. We're all on that journey. And some of you may say, I don't even know how to start that journey. I mean, that kind of love. I didn't grow up in a family that, that expressed love. Or I, I've been through a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, betrayal, or whatever. How do I get that kind of love? Well, part of that, he said, is our relationship with Jesus. That's the importance of the word. That's the importance of all. In fact, many of the things that the pastor has taken you through over the last several weeks are things that are meant to draw us to Jesus and Jesus is the one who loves us so much. The, the, uh, psychologists and sociologists say we become like those that we hang out with. And we hang out with Jesus who loves us so much that he died for us to take his sins upon us. We start to become like him. But don't get discouraged along the way. I'm reminded of, of a Charlie Brown cartoon where Charlie Brown's in the dugout and he's got his hands like this and he's just so discouraged and he says to Lucy, Lucy, I'm never going to be a, a great, you know, all-American baseball player. And Lucy says, you know, you, the problem is your, your goal's too big. It's too far out there. Just start with intermediate goals. And, and he says, well, like what? And, and Lucy says, well, try getting up to the pitcher's mound without falling down. Well, as we start our journey of, of discipleship along the way, and, and, and in a room like this, some of you are just beginning this journey, and some of you are, are you already there, and you know you have expressed love for me over time, my time that was here, and so forth. And you're well on that journey, but let's face it, none of us are at that level as Jesus loved us. So we're all, we all have a, a place to grow in, in this whole process. But whatever you're at, someone in the hospital who you can reach out to. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's somebody here in the church. Maybe it's in your ministry. But we're all to be in this process of learning what it means. How much Christ loves us. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. You see, it's in the laboratory of the church that we grow, and it's through our connection with Jesus Christ as we, as we grow in relationship with him that he fills us with his spirit 
and, and uh, love begins to grow. Paul Tillich, a theologian of the last century, said this. He's talking about someone he met who, was, who worked with prisoners and orphans during World War I. He said, it is a rare gift to meet a human being in whom love, and this means God, is so overwhelmingly manifest. It undercuts theological arrogance as well as pious isolation. It is more than justice and greater than faith or hope. It is the presence of God in the form of a human being. For God is love. In every moment of genuine love, we are dwelling in God, and God in us. You see, all the, all the things that, that Pastor Dave, David has been talking of the last several weeks, those are important and those are valuable. But if they're not done in love, and you're not growing in love, then as Paul says, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But when they're done with love, if you're a greeter out there and you greet people in love, you teach a Sunday school class and you love those kids. If you're in the nursery and you're changing a diaper, you love not only the, the baby's diapers, that, I mean, not the baby's diapers, but the baby, but you're loving the parents too because they can be in church sitting under the teaching of, of God. It needs to be done in love. Yeah, I've, I've seen programs where the, the, one of the dangers of quote, a, a formal discipleship program is, is arrogance. I'm more spiritual than you because I know more Bible verses than you. And I read the Bible every day. And I'm more spiritual. That's, that's devastating. That's, that's satanic is what that is. But when we are loving, and when it draws closer to Jesus, and it causes us to reach out in love to others. I came across this prayer, and I think it's a very beautiful prayer. I'm not closing with this, so don't, don't, you know, don't close your Bibles up yet. Grant me, O Lord, an understanding heart, that I may see the hearts of thy people and know their strengths and weaknesses, their hopes and despairs, their efforts and their failures, their need of love and their need to love. Through my touch with them, grant comfort and hope and the assurance that, that now life begins at any age and on any day, redeeming the past, sanctifying the present, and brightening the future with the assurance of thy unfailing love and grace brought to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a beautiful prayer to be in prayer. Lord, help me to understand those around me. Well, let me move on. Before I take the next point, mentally, real quick, real quick, I want you to think of who are your top three or four friends. Who are they? People you could go to in the middle of the night and say, hey, I got a problem. Can you help me out? Okay, now, this is, this is a trick question because some of you are going to go, oh, no, no, no. Was Jesus in your list? Was Jesus in the list? Because we just read a moment ago, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There's a current song, I don't know if you sing it here or not, but he, uh, a friend of God that, that a lot of churches are singing, and it's basically this truth that's here. That, that, we're, that we, This is what binds us together. This is, this is where we could meet a Christian from another part of the world and we find out and, and our bond is in Jesus Christ. One of the things that concerns me today is, is that too many I see out there, what's bonding them is not Jesus, something else. And if you're not part of that something else, they'll unfriend you. That's not the church. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. He's called us friends. We don't live in a weird age, don't we? I mean, most of 
those, I gotta tell you something, those 350 friends you have on, on Facebook, those aren't real friends. I mean, there's acquaintances that you might have met at some time, but friends are there when you need them. And Jesus says, I'll be there. But also, that bonding is what bonds us together as a church. Well, then we, we move down to the purpose, the supreme purpose. And that's verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You see, the supreme purpose of believers is to bear fruit, is to bear fruit. I love that. You are cho chosen, he says. If you are a follower of Jesus, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm chosen. You ever been in, in, in junior high and they're picking out the team and you're just praying, Lord, please don't let me be the last person to be chosen. And when you get down to two or three of you, you're just like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Guess what? Jesus said, I chose you. And I ordained you to bear fruit. There's two kinds of fruit that I see in Scripture. There's the fruit of bringing someone into the family, sharing our faith, and then the other kind of fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, as Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we're to grow in both of those. But, but here's the key. Those are not separable. Because Jesus said this. Listen to this. By all men, he's talking about people outside the church, they will know that you are followers of me because of this love. This love becomes the great apologetic that's there. Tertullian, who was a, I think it's second or third century uh, church father, said this. He says, the heathen were wont to exclaim and wonder, see how these Christians love one another. See how these Christians love one another. If you remain in me, verses 7 and 8 of John, if you remain in me, my words and reign in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And you can ask God whatever you want, he says, if you're following me, connected to me, and bearing fruit. I, I came across this. Uh, it, it's called, What I Asked God For. He said, I asked God to take away my pride. And God said, no, it was... It was not for him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said, no. He said, patience is the byproduct of the tribulation. It isn't granted, it is earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said, no. He gives me blessings. Happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said, no. He said, I must grow, but he will prune me in order to make me fruitful. So I asked God if he loved me, and God said yes. He gave me his only son who died for me, and I will be with in heaven with him someday because I believe. And I asked God to help me love others much as he loves me, and God said, ah, finally. Now you have the idea. Lord, help me to love my neighbor. Help me to love this person. You know, one of the greatest witnesses of your growth is that person that you just couldn't handle 
now there's a love that's there and you know it didn't come from you that it was the spirit of God that was working within you who gave you that love that's a powerful witness that God is at, at work in your life and how do you know you're growing as a disciple because you're becoming more loving year by year and you'll see more of the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience in your life because of that and that becomes evidence of the growth Francis Schaeffer talking about that apologetic. Let me, let me just pull this before I take that. 2005, the Hurricane Katrina hit the uh, Gulf Coast. Just, just uh, devastated a lot of cities, particularly uh, New Orleans. The levees broke and, and the city had to be evacuated and, and thousands of homes were lost and people were, were homeless. Uh, they were, you know. And, but here's what I want to point out. Across the country, Across the country, Christian organizations sent teams in. They sent teams in to rebuild homes. They sent teams in to set up uh, kitchens to feed the people. They sent in teams to build temporary shelters. And the country, our country, took notice of all of these Christians that went there. And they didn't ask for money, didn't try to sell anything. And they were just like, why are you here? Because God loves me. And I want to show that love to this community. The problem is, I haven't seen anything like that since 2005. That was a point where the, where the country was saying, look at how they love each other. We need to be, get back to this, that this is the apologetic. This is the main apologetic. When they see the love within our church and into the community, that's powerful. And it will draw people to them. Over in John 16, which is after the, this chapter, two chapters later, actually John 17, Jesus said, may they be one that the world will be drawn to you. Powerful. Let me just finish uh, before we go into communion with this. I had the privilege of being at Norm's service uh, last weekend. And, and many people stood up and they talked about his pilot's license. He had several uh, uh, inventions that he patented. Uh, he made Friday, Friday night phone calls. I mean, there were just all kinds of things. All, I mean, it was just amazing of all the things. His musical talent. But what all of them said was Norm was a loving man. Norm was a loving man. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Someone has said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The standard is this. We're to love one another as Jesus loved us. John writing in one of his letters, John, 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. As we take communion this morning, I think it's okay and it's appropriate because on the night that Jesus instituted this supper, he gave this new commandment. And so as we reflect on how great was this love, let us ask God, 
to help us to love others the way that he loved us. A little child, his story is, I'm sure it's, a, it's not really true, but it's, it speaks to the heart. A little child asked Jesus, do you love me? And Jesus said, I do. And the child said, how much? And Jesus said, this much, this much. And so as we gather around this table this morning, Heavenly Father, our prayer is this, a prayer of, of gratitude for sending your Son to pay the price for our sins. How great a love is that. Our prayer is also that you would fill us with this love, teach us to love, show us to love. To love within our church family, to love our neighbors, 